COVID-19 has accelerated our use of technology. How we work and where we work has all potentially changed forever. And this presents a once in a generation opportunity. You know, there was a time five or six years ago where we generated 95% of our revenue in the UK. And these days that's more like 20% with 80% of our revenue coming from overseas. So it's been quite a journey for what was a, a small Birmingham upstart back in 2012. This is Beyond the Capital from Supertech, a new series that explores the future of technology in the world of work. Our focus is the tech scene that's flourishing outside of London. I'm Hilary Smith-Allen, and I'm involved in the technology adoption agenda and passionate about opportunities across the UK. In this episode, we're speaking to two successful businesses, one that's a newcomer to Birmingham after starting out in Norway, and the other that started out in Birmingham and has expanded globally. Firstly, I spoke to Aaron Powers, Chief Executive and Co-Founder of Hewnit. Hi, Aaron. Thanks for joining us today. Perhaps we could start by you introducing us to Hewnit, what it does, what problems are you solving? Tell us all about it. Thank you very much for having us. Hewnit is a uh, platform that allows legal professionals uh, to transition to natively digital agreements. We've got three main parts to the ecosystem. One is a distributed ledger-based network made up of nodes comprised of law offices and financial services groups, where these agreements go to live out their life cycle once they've been signed. Um, We offer the legal profession itself a set of tools that allows them to create um, these digital agreements based off of today's document templates and kind of today's skill sets. Um, And then finally, we have what we call ecosystem services, which is a basically a set of connectors that allow these digital agreements to interact with the real world, Uh, send and receive money in the banking system, ask the opinion of shareholders or bondholders, for example, uh, using our governance engine. And overall, this provides uh, an alternative to what is today's best or let's say greatest analog holdout in finance, which is the alternative asset space, where you have over a trillion pounds a year of newly issued instruments being done today, basically based on analog agreements, you know, either actual paper in some cases, or uh, my favorite, which is, you know, PDF or something like that, which is essentially, it's a digital facsimile of paper, right? It replicates paper in a digital way. I mean, that's interesting because you're in the way you're describing that, you're operating distinctly as sort of legal tech come um, fintech and in that real interface between the two. And I follow what you're saying to a degree, but the so what? You know, I understand analog, but what's the opportunity for, for going on the unit journey and doing it a bit differently? We mean different things to different stakeholders. Um, one of the things we learned was that in-house counsel or external counsel believe unanimously that the future of law is is, is natively digital. But they realize that the, the writing is on the wall for for what you know we call analog agreements. However, you know, what do they do for for the legal profession, for example? You know, there are some risks that people identify. Well, wait a second, there's always a lot of hours being charged for junior associates to run around and chase signatures and chase these things that all, all the execution part. We allow law firms to essentially transition to a point in in their trajectory where they're able to, instead of focus on getting things done and kind of this low value work, if you want to call it that, um, they're able to focus their time on creating intellectual property that is going to work to the benefit of of their clients. Um, From their clients, so let's say I'm a corporate that wants to issue a a debt offering or wants to, for example, digitalize their shareholder agreement and, and digitalize their equity shares. Uh, what we provide is a 
basically a built-in contract lifecycle management system that allows for an agreement that previously would have been put into a filing cabinet, you know, either real or digital, um, and then referred to from time to time by the parties as they kind of go through their life. Uh, instead, here, this becomes an integral part in managing or mediating the relationship between different counterparties in an agreement and allows, for example, investors in that company to be able to passively monitor the, the company's compliance with the covenants that they've agreed to. And then using some uh, patent pending uh, um, technology that we have also preload a number of remedies. So if there is, for example, a coupon payment is missed, or if there's uh, management re reports that are, are missed, then the, um, the agreement itself can contain predetermined and pre-permissioned remedies that allow for that agreement to enter into a state of breach and then recover from it. Or if the breach is uncurable, allow it to go through to, to a type of uh, resolution that normally you would have to go to court for. And then what that removes for investors is for the kind of things that are predictable. I and mean, this is definitely not a long tail technology, but the 80% of things that can go wrong in, for example, a syndicated debt agreement, all basically revolve around honesty and reporting and you know, paying cash when it's supposed to be paid. Uh, and so in those two cases, then, you know, remedies are um, can be anticipated and allows the parties to relieve themselves of the burden of, of court-based adjudication, which, you know, brings time, which brings uncertainty and brings a lot of cost. Wow. It's a mouthful. It's a mouthful. <laughs> it's a and there's a, there's a lot going in there. And I observed when reading about Unit in advance of this, that you're founded on no code and that that's something you tell straight up front and yet perhaps the perception of no-code technologies, we, we're big fans of it at Supertech, but you know, is that maybe it's not that sophisticated or it's still at the early web platform, end of things, new founders, MVPs. So what's your experience and, and why is that such an integral part to the story? Well, we, we did an analysis, actually a quantified analysis of the likelihood of uh, a code-based digital agreement entering into use. And what we found, it was like 18% likely in most situations. And and the reason why is because the, the legal profession, both culturally and kind of educationally, is used to working with words. Code-based digital agreements require a real steep learning curve for the entire industry. And so not only does somebody need to learn how to write these, but then the industry at large needs to learn how to interpret them. And then you get into the question of formats. Right? Is it Python that you're going to write this in? Is it Solidity that you're going to write this in? Do I have those skill sets inside of my firm? Do I need to bring them in? Then you get into court uh, review of documents in the cases when you do go to court. It creates an adoption chain risk for the entire industry that we would like best to avoid in this digitalization. And so our, our approach to code base or to no code, sorry, is essentially focused around Word. Word is the operating system of the legal profession. Templating systems and billing systems and all those things basically connect into Word, plug in and Word. So what we realized was that for us, in order to gain the traction that we've seen in the legal industry, we needed to be present inside of Word. We need to be able to leverage the fact that every lawyer knows how to use Word very effectively and instead allow the Word-based document to become the digital agreement itself. So we actually hide everything that we need to hide inside the, the native XML of Word, which means that you write an agreement the way you do traditionally. It is based in natural language. And then you identify what the variable parameters are, for example, that 
that you need to set for a specific auto covenant. So we have different auto covenants uh, that can be selected from a list. And well, that's, by the way, auto covenant is what we call the, one of these self-executing clauses. <laughs> Sorry if it was uh, skipped over that trademark. But so I will let you have the jargon. <laughs> it's easy to get lost in the vernacular. <laughs> I apologize for all the listeners. And so what that allows a, a legal professional to do is basically write an agreement more or less the way they do today. Uh, and then select where the variables are, associate those with specific functions, and then set it off into a digital uh, a signature track. We didn't want to force anybody to change how they're working. And, and so uh, a big part of no code was also making sure that we didn't come in and say, well, you know, all these investments you've made in knowledge, all these investments you've made in, in cost around IT, those are all going to be negated because we're going to come in with this umbrella solution, uh, which, you know, tends to make a life of, of, a, of an early innovation company very difficult. So then thinking about that adoption journey and trying to get yourselves established in the market, why the UK? Why Birmingham? Because you're not from around these parts. <laughs> Good question. If you look at the UK um, as a whole, you know, post-Brexit, it's in a position now to speak what I call kind of a global language. It's no longer speaking the language of Brussels. This is speaking the, the language of global business. And, and prior to, to that shift, London itself was already, I think, arguably the, the leading global hub for the alternative asset sector. Clearly, you've got a lot of activity in New York and, and in Singapore and, and in the Gulf states. And so it was, it was critical that we, we felt that you know, we should be present as a UK company. Luckily, we were um, helped along that path by the Global Entrepreneur Program, which is run by UK Trade Investment. We were selected as one of 100 companies in, in 2020 to redomicile to the United Kingdom. The support that we've gotten from that group and from the UK government as a whole has been fantastic. And when we were making some assessments over, you know, where, where do we put down footprints? London is important for us from a sales and onboarding perspective. I mean, where, where our customers are going to be located, primarily in London City, um, it's important to have presence. But when we looked at the Midlands, we felt that it was underutilized from a, from a technology perspective and, and uh, specifically for us, legal tech. Um, we have created um, now strong relationships with the University of Birmingham and with the Lloyds Banking Center for Responsible Business there, where we have a sponsored research program around best practices for digitalized agreements. Um, we understood more about what was going on with SuperTech and this cluster that was essentially being formed inside the city, access to, um, to fantastic talent in the Midlands. Um, and when it comes to, um, let's say, portability of, of presence, having Birmingham be very close to our primary sales market makes it a very manageable transition back and forth. So it's easy to do on a day trip, for example. So we felt that there was a lot of advantages to be had um, with the Midlands. And we're yeah, very proud to, to call that home um, in addition to you know, our kind of sales and onboarding presence in London. Well, fantastic. Well, it's great to hear it. And just to close, what does the future hold? The future for, for Hewnet. At this point, we have a fantastic portfolio of, of launch customers, ranging from um, hedge funds to high volume uh, issuers of things like debt agreements. We're working with one of the UK's leading litigation finance groups. We're also working with a very interesting group inside of what they're called energy attribute certificates. So these are legal documents issued by uh, renewable energy producers um, that basically allow for consumers to quantify for their ESG reporting um, where they're getting their power. And right now there is a, a paucity of digitalized solutions for what is 
now new rules coming into effect that provides, a, it's a, requires companies to be much more stringent. So we, we have a number of fantastic use cases. I'm always going to be bullish. I'm the, I'm the founder of the company. Um, but, you know, at this point, we feel that we are going to be able to precipitate a lasting and meaningful change in how law is practiced. I mean, if you look back, um, law as it exists today hasn't changed a whole lot in how it's practiced. It's still essentially ink on paper or digital ink on digital paper. Uh, and now for the first time, we're able to offer uh, law firms the advantage of being able to differentiate themselves on features. Right Now, you know, this law firm, for example, is a specialist in, in creating digital agreements that self-execute and save all sorts of operational costs and mitigate the compliance risk and all these other things. Then that becomes a, a meaningful differentiator in a, in a very competitive environment. Well, fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. We wish you all the luck. Welcome to Birmingham. Thank you very much, Hilary. That was Aaron Powers, Chief Executive and Co-Founder of Hewnit. You're listening to Beyond the Capital with me, Hilary Smith-Allen. Please do rate, review and subscribe on your normal podcast app. And do get in touch if you have any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Email us at hello at supertechwm.com. And now we're going to hear from a company that started out in Birmingham and has expanded internationally. I spoke to Chris Purdy, Group Commercial Director for PM Connect. Can we start by briefly explaining what PM Connect does? Yeah, absolutely. Our mission as a business is is making in-demand content accessible to all. And what we mean by that is helping big sports and entertainment brands around the world distribute and monetize their their content directly to consumers on on the mobile phone. And we do that through mobile operators distributing their content and using something we call direct carrier billing to, to charge users for access to that content. So we work with mobile operators all around the world. So the business launched in 2012, um, and we've grown from what was then a, a very UK-based business to processing about 25 million payments every month um, with a presence in about 40 countries. So you said the word payments then, and in my head, I'm hearing the words direct carrier billing and suddenly starting to work out how fintech kind of comes into this, perhaps in layman terms they actually explain what direct carrier billing means? Direct carrier billing, in a few words, is, is simply allowing a consumer to pay for goods or services and have that charge go onto their monthly phone bill or, or taken from their prepay credit. So what's really unique about what we do um, is, is we allow a brand to work with us at a technical level and plug into our systems. We then do over-the-top marketing to bring new consumers into a brand's environment under the surface within our technical platform. We then plug into many mobile operators all around the world and and allow them to take a payment from over a billion consumers. Big numbers then? Yeah. So the MBA deal was pretty significant to think of one news story of yours just this year. Yeah, I mean, the NBA, you know, in a word, um, huge for, for our business and, and really huge for the sector. The NBA was a real early adopter in, in pivoting to a direct-to-consumer model as more and more consumers go to access games and content 
directly for a mobile phone rather than watching it on TV. Um, and, and what we've done with the NBA actually allows them to, to grow their audience and, and grow their revenue in, in seven really key growth markets for them outside of their home in the US. That's in part in some of their big markets, uh, such as Spain and France, but also in, in Africa. Um, and we're doing some amazing business with them in South Africa, which, which is a real growth area for, for basketball, but also is, is particularly poignant for direct carrier billing, where credit card penetration is, is very low. Expensive pay TV, cable, and satellite channels are really, you know, the reserve of, of quite a small minority of the population. So, yeah, a huge deal with the NBA. We're going to be working with them initially um, over over three years and in seven countries. But the the success we're seeing already really really leads both parties to think that it's just the start of something really big further down the line. And it's really interesting hearing you talk about those other marketplaces, because when you think of financial services, the UK's background and and just even our history of infrastructure, it's sort of assumed ways of doing things. And you can see how in an African context, how mobile phones sort of changing the accessibility and inclusion of, of different people into sports. That's absolutely right. I mean, we're, we're really talking about the democratization of um, sports and, and entertainment content um, and, and the appetite for consumers in developing markets where the mobile phone is, is very much the, the first screen, in some cases the only screen and, and, and certainly, you know, the only access to the internet. As that continues to pick up pace, um, you know, there's an undeniable appetite for huge brands um, and, and we're really unlocking that opportunity for them in, in some of the developing markets we're working in. A little bit closer to home with, with what we're doing in more developed markets in Europe, of course, people in the UK or, or, or in Europe have many different ways of paying for things, but that trend of moving away from the TV being the, the source of access for content and, and that move to a direct-to-consumer, very often mobile-led, um, is, is, is just as important as it is in the developing markets. And linked to that, you also signed a deal this year in relation to gaming. And, and do you see similar trends there with mobiles being at the frontier of the screen environment or and or changing the types of content people are consuming? Another huge deal for us, and, and one really close to my heart, we we did a deal with, with a company called Remote My App, a real pioneer and, and challenger in the cloud gaming sector. We actually released a white paper on, on cloud gaming earlier this year, and our data puts it at being an industry worth $5.1 billion by 2023. Wow. Cloud gaming is is really the future of gaming and, and in a way that music pivoted to a streaming model many many years ago gaming has has taken a little bit longer to catch up um but we very much see the future of gaming as being a streaming model where the consumer no longer buys a game or even downloads a game and simply accesses everything from from one online service very much as a, as a subscription model where all of their games come under one roof. 
And what it means for us in, in the mobile space is, is a consumer can now play a game, but otherwise they, they would have needed an expensive PC or, or gaming console. And now even with really a, a mid-end, mid-cost Android handset, they can get an amazing gaming experience all through the power of the cloud and, and the power of their mobile phone network. This for us was a really obvious move for the business. Um, you will hear, of course, a lot of buzz around the rollout of 5G, whether that's in the UK or, or elsewhere in the world. I think what a lot of mobile operators are now looking for is, is real consumer use cases. And cloud gaming is that perfect use case. And, and what we're doing with, with our Remote My App partnership is really pulling together a number of things. It's, it's bringing users into a space where all they need is a fast mobile connection and then pairing that with a really easy to use frictionless mobile payment system. It's fascinating in that, how you talk about bringing it together because it's sort of the job creation, the the consumer market expansion within the gaming bit, but then also how you in the fintech space and the payments is an enabler and, and your own growth journey being directly linked to those other sector opportunities. Very much so. I mean, as a business, um, you know, we've, we've got a long history of, of providing gaming services to consumers of, of mobile operators all around the world. But for us, the arrival of cloud gaming was not just a, a great business opportunity, but also something that our entire staff could really get behind. As you'll know, the Midlands has a long history in in the gaming sector there's been a number of you know really huge british gaming success stories coming out of the midlands and so for us you know that really made a lot of sense and of course in terms of of, of our workforce at, at a recruitment level in terms of motivating our workforce you know it's, it's a great place to be have a lot of people that have joined us and, and brought wealth of experience from from the gaming sector, and that for them has transitioned into pairing payments with 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 entertainment and gaming. So a real perfect fit for a lot of our staff. And so from that regional, non-London sort of predictable fintech base in the West Midlands, you're servicing the globe. We have our main technical and, and operations hub um, in the Birmingham area. Um, but we do business on five different continents today, and, and, and we have hubs from, from Johannesburg to, to Paris all the way back to Birmingham. You know, there was a, a time five or six years ago where we generated 95% of our revenue in the UK. And these days, that's, that's, that's more like 20% with, with 80% of our revenue coming from overseas. So it's been quite a journey for what was a, a small Birmingham upstart back in 2012. Fantastic. Well, it's been super to hear your story. And thank you very much for sharing with us today. Thanks, Hilary. A pleasure to be here. That was Chris Purdy, Group Commercial Director for PM Connect. Earlier, we heard from Hewnit, which is a no-co business for disrupting legal services. Supertech is running a no-co competition for founders. To find out more, please see our website, supertechwm.com. 